Hi everyone, R. Don Hutchinson here. If you've enjoyed the future history of Newburgh so far, you might be interested in some of my other work as well. I've just released a book called Obluvium Sanctuary, book one of the Obluvium series. This novel is about twins with unique abilities who must hide from evil men until a portal to their home reality opens. But, is the quaint farm they've found really the safe haven that it seems? Obluvium Sanctuary is available in paperback or Kindle at the links provided in the show notes. Happy reading! Now back to Newburgh. Hello and welcome to Episode 9 of The Future History of Newburgh, a series of short stories about a peculiar town on a peculiar planet where science and magic mingle in an effort to save the worlds. In Episode 8, we took a tour of Newburgh with Dr. Jimenez and Jeff and Silent Jim. In this episode, we're headed to Midtown to experience some breakthroughs in art and culture. I hope that wherever you are, life is good. Here's episode 9, Dance, Plants, and Romance. Trevor hurried out the door, his sneakers making slapping sounds on the sidewalk. His last table of customers wouldn't stop chin-wagging, and now he was running behind. He blew through the doors of the Bud Hut on East Sink Street and quickly picked out a bouquet of hydroponic watercolor roses. Grown to resemble an artist's palette, they were the perfect flowers for Zan, who was also colorful and creative. Tissue-wrapped flowers in hand, Trevor jogged to the SkyTrain station, where he boarded the next arrival to Midtown. Descending the platform steps, he glanced at his comm ring and broke out into a run. He only had one minute left, and he did not want to be late for this. He rushed into the theater just as the house lights dimmed. Tapping his comm ring, he checked his ticket for his seat number. Great. He was in the middle of a row. Trevor stepped over and on people in the dark, apologizing as he went and holding his bouquet of flowers high so they wouldn't get damaged. Meanwhile, the orchestra was tuning up, and he could feel the resentment toward him growing as the instrumental volume built. At length, Trevor found his seat and plopped down, wiping perspiration from his brow. The music began, and the red velvet curtain rose. The troop of Zan dancers was already in position, and they exploded into motion. From their very first movement, the anger in the room dissipated. Trevor could feel his anxiety melting away and being replaced by sheer joy. Zan's contribution to the worlds was the gift of dance. It could break through walls in the psyche, end depression, open eyes to see everything that was right in the world. If someone was ever at the end of their tether, all they would need to do is watch a Zan dance. The conductor, also a Zan, 
communicated the music to the human orchestra in an uncharacteristically rigid fashion. Restraining the desire to join in the dance must have been challenging. Trevor could see the conductor's stiffness lapse occasionally into a flowing sway of tentacles. The chosen score was a plaintive cry of strings that evoked the soul's yearning, while the pumping rhythm and heavy bass celebrated the joy of life now. Using their unique physiology, the Zan dancers stretched to amazing heights and rolled into tiny balls, intertwining their limbs to enhance their momentum. They whirled and spun in fluid motion, and Trevor couldn't tell where one Zan ended and another began. It was like a perpetually moving pastel kaleidoscope. He was in awe of how they were able to keep their traction on the stage, which was now dangerously slippery with snail-like Zan foot slime. The music swelled to a crescendo just as the back doors of the theater opened, letting in a shaft of light from the lobby. Trevor reeled in his seat, momentarily annoyed and looking for whoever had caused the disruption. When he faced the stage again, the dancers had parted and were pirouetting separately around a Zan who was the color of spring buttercups. The audience gasped as the yellow Zan twisted into a loose spiral and extended upward. When the Zan elegantly unwound from this position, globules of slime sprayed outward in all directions, including the orchestra pit and the first two rows of the audience. After a brief discord, the musicians regained their tempo. The audience remained enraptured, eyes wide with delight, while their faces and hair dripped with goop. Finally able to distinguish the dancers, Trevor found his Zan, whose seafoam green tentacles moved sinuously, like an undersea angel. His cheeks got hot, and he tucked his bristly black hair behind his ears as if anyone could call a Zan theirs. Though maybe after he'd given Zan these flowers, they might grow closer. He adjusted the multicolored roses in his grip so they wouldn't be crushed. Trevor was suddenly aware of a rumble beneath his feet. Light at first, but growing stronger. Initially, he thought the mustachioed man on timpani had gotten carried away, but the rumbling persisted until enormously thick plant roots emerged from backstage. They snaked over the stage's edge and goosed the tuba player, causing her to let out an inharmonious toot before they wound their way down the theater aisles and out the lobby doors. Zans had never incorporated these kinds of props in their dances before, but Trevor couldn't tell if this was rehearsed or not. The dancers used their flexible forms to move along with the roots, dancing around them and over them. The audience oohed and applauded. The Zans joined in a circle with the buttercup Zan in the center, and with one final baton stroke from the conductor, the performance was over. The audience leapt to their feet, whistling and clapping, some wiping tears of joy from their face, some wiping away slime. The curtain came down, the house lights came up, and a general hubbub arose in the theater. Zans were emerging from backstage to mingle with the audience. Trevor thought he spied seafoam green across the room before his view was blocked by a tuxedo-clad man. He nudged and budged his way through the crowd of theatergoers who couldn't seem to decide between walking toward the exit or stopping to chat with each other. Jostling past stragglers, Trevor ultimately found Zan amidst a gaggle of admiring audience members. 
Zan gave a demure smile in response to all the compliments on a magnificent performance. Trevor reached out a shaky, flower-filled hand and gulped. The dance was beautiful, but you stole the show, he said. Zan waved a dismissive tentacle. Trevor, that's silly. I was a supporting dancer. Zan was the star. As if on cue, the yellow-hued lead dancer broke through the throng of fans and in a smooth tone said, I really appreciate your performance tonight. You did a great job. Zan's seafoam eyes sparkled at the praise. The two Zans huddled closer and began a rapid exchange of highlights from the show. Trevor waited a while, but it soon became painfully obvious that the two dancers only had enough attention for each other. Like the rest of the crowd, Trevor usually experienced a prolonged state of bliss after a Zan dance. But not tonight. He walked out of the theater, stepping over roots that had grown out into the road, where he leaned against a lamppost with Zan's roses still in hand. In his periphery, Trevor saw a woman with her hair done up in a colorful scarf approaching two girls. The second she opened her mouth, Trevor recognized her. I know all these people, she said, gesturing to the insignificant crowd exiting the theater. You are new to Newburgh. The girls, one about his age and the other in grade school, were stopped in their tracks. The older one put an arm around the younger. The heavily made-up woman reached into a large cloth bag slung across her shoulder and approached the girls with the swagger of a cat who had just cornered a mouse. You'll be making a new life, new friends, new experiences. What if I could make it easier for you? I have special powder you put in your morning tea and it brings romance into your life like that. She snapped and smiled, revealing lipstick-stained teeth. In her palm was a tiny plastic bag of what looked like ground cinnamon. The older girl squared her shoulders. I'm not interested in romance, thanks. The woman reached into her bag again, but Trevor, knowing her sales pitch, intervened. Come on, Mrs. Pitkin. You know you can't sell your potions here. Plus, I'm pretty sure that's a shady product, he said, shaking his head. With a huff, Mrs. Pitkin shoved the powder into her large sack and retorted, It is a romance powder, not a love potion! She made to leave with her chin held high, but stopped first and said, I'm sure you had better luck with your flowers. Ha! As Mrs. Pitkin stomped off, Trevor looked down at his bouquet and sighed. Love potions are forbidden in Newburgh, Trevor explained to the girls. He then extended a hesitant hand out to the eldest, who had raven-black hair and bright blue contacts in her eyes. Um, I'm Trevor. Yeah, I recognized you. Well, I recognize the back of your head. I sit two rows behind you in biochemistry. Liza, she said, shaking his hand. She spoke in a nonchalant monotone, unsurprised by anything. Oh, you're the new girl, Trevor said, feeling stupid. The younger girl stifled a chuckle. <laughs> she gripped a thin white cane and held her eyes closed. This is my sister, Gabby, Liza said. Trevor held out his hand to Gabby, but Gabby reached her straight out in front of her. It dawned on him that she was blind and obviously couldn't see his outstretched hand. 
He finally grasped hers in a clumsy handshake. Hi, Gabby. Pleasure. So, uh, did you enjoy the performance? He asked them both. I didn't expect it to be so... intense. We came late because Gabby really just likes to go to the theater for intermissions. Really? Trevor asked, switching the bouquet to the other hand. Gabby let go of Liza's arm and gripped her cane with both hands. Intermissions are funny because you can hear everyone say how bad they have to pee, and then they all rush to the bathroom at the same time, she laughed. Unfortunately, this show didn't have an intermission. The orchestra was good, though. As she was talking, the roots sprawling out of the theater expanded and grew thicker. The ground beneath them began to shake, and a gritty, rasping sound could be heard west of them on Mercury Street, becoming increasingly louder. Gabby gripped her cane in fear, and Liza clasped her hand tightly over her sister's shoulder. Trevor looked toward the direction of the scraping sound, which was now mingled with a continuous yell that seemed to be getting closer by the second. Before long, he could see enormous black tree roots undulating down the road. As they grew and stretched, the roots carried a man in cargo pants and a black goatee along the length of Mercury Street. He was gripping tightly to one of the roots and shouting in panic. A few people screamed, clamoring to get out of the road and out of the roots' path. The man eventually found the nerve to roll off the growing plant, and he tumbled onto the sidewalk. That's my dad, Liza said, confused. Daddy? Gabby asked, tilting her head. I think it's safe now, Gabs. A bunch of roots like the ones in the theater grew down the street, and Dad was on one of them. That was him yelling. He's standing now, so I think he's okay. The little girl reached out her white cane and, finding one of the roots, began to feel it with her hands. Girls, you all right? Liza's father asked while brushing his hands off on his pants. We're good, Gabby answered, sitting with her back to everyone on one of the roots and patting the tough bark with her dainty hands. Humphrey Hobb trotted up the sidewalk, pausing to climb awkwardly over roots in his green robe. He came to a wheezing halt near Liza's father. <sighs> He doubled over and braced his hands on his knees while he caught his breath. <sighs> Are you a... Trevor began, but was cut short by Humphrey's raised index finger, signaling for just one more minute. After one more gasp of breath, <sighs> Humphrey spoke. Dr. Jimenez, I was watering my houseplant a moment ago when these dirty great roots came crashing through the walls and pushed me out the door. He tapped his fingertips together. Given my, um, tendency toward havoc, I think this may be my doing. He gave Dr. Jimenez a pleading smile. No, no, this is not your fault, Mr. Hobb. This is all on me. Dr. Jimenez held his arms wide to indicate the general disarray in all directions but now I know the roots are immune to the tranquilizer brew I was given. Not only immune, they've developed a defensive reaction to it. Well, let's see what we can do about that. Humphrey pushed up the sleeves of his green robe and strode toward the intersection of Mercury and Unity Streets. I see you got to go to the Zandance, Dr. Emanez said to Liza while regarding Trevor. Yeah, 
It was incredible, she responded with no visible emotion. Who's this? he asked with a small crease in his brows. Trevor. He's in biochem. He helped fend off a drug dealer a few minutes ago, Liza answered as Trevor shook Dr. Jimenez's hand. Love potions. Not drugs. But either way, they aren't good. Dr. Jimenez had a firm grip on Trevor's hand. His eyes roved to the roses in Trevor's other hand, and his grip became even firmer. A strangled cry came from up the street. All heads turned to see Humphrey suspended in the air in the grasp of a tentacle-like root. This time it was definitely my fault, he shouted. Dr. Jimenez released Trevor's hand and started down the street, but looked torn. So you're okay? Everything's okay here? He asked the girls again with his hands on his hips. Yes, Dad, Liza said. Gabby giggled. Humphrey whimpered. Dr. Jimenez ran toward him, shouting back at them. Go home! I don't know how much worse this thing's gonna get! Together, Trevor and Liza watched poor Humphrey rise higher and higher into the air. He screeched something about being afraid of heights as the police set up a barricade around him and began urging people to vacate the area. You know, Newburgh isn't always this crazy, Trevor said to the girls. Well, that's disappointing, Gabby frowned. Dad said the woods were acting strange. I'm sure you don't always have roots growing through your town. Facing the theater doors, Trevor saw Zan exit, laughing boisterously with a group of other Zans. He watched, crestfallen, as Zan glided away holding a bigger, brighter bouquet than his. Liza followed his gaze. Maybe you would have done better with wildflowers. Yeah, those flowers smell weird. Gabby said, wrinkling her nose, as she tapped her cane and found her way back to Liza. Trevor shrugged, defeated, and chucked the roses in a recycling bin. Well, I guess I'll see you Monday. The back of your head, anyway. I'll be sure to turn around, Trevor said. Gabby wrinkled her nose again. Trevor crossed the street, taking large steps over the roots. Peering back over his shoulder... He tucked his hair behind his ears before shoving his empty hands in his pockets and quickening his pace toward home. That concludes Episode 9, Dance, Plants, and Romance. If you're enjoying these stories, reach out a tentacle to iTunes or other podcast provider of your choice and leave a review. Don't forget to subscribe, too. The Future History of Newburgh was written, narrated, and produced by R. Don Hutchinson. To find out more, please visit me at rdonhutchinson.com. That's R-D-A-W-N Hutchinson.com. I hope you'll join me for the next episode. Thank you so much for listening and helping the story unfold. He rushed into the theater just as the height... Oh my gosh, am I saying theater right? I say it like a Texan, so theater. He rushed into the, into the theater. <laughs> Am I saying it right? <laughs> theater. In the theater.